Well, good morning. It is super exciting to be in Santa Monica this morning. The traffic was good coming from Orange County. So it was that it in and of itself is a miracle, right? You just never, I checked the traffic three times last night, again this morning. Like, what's it going to be like? Sundays are good. I should come to LA on Sundays more often because Sundays are good. <laughs> Sundays are good. So I'm super happy to be present with you. As has already been said, my name is Joy Qualls. I do have this doctor title in front of me, but we don't have to use that title. I'm just Joy. Um, I uh, am thrilled to be with you. I have, I have been friends with Josh and Kylie for a number of years. In fact, I knew them before they got married to each other. Uh, we were part of a group of leaders in the Assemblies of God, our denomination, who were under the age of 40. I am no longer under the age of 40, so I have aged out of that group. Um, Josh and Kylie were also early members of that group, and they were the first couple to date and get married out of that group of people. So we were very proud of their relationship um, and the way they came together. Kylie and I blogged together for um, an Assemblies of God blog for a number of years, so we just go really, really back a number um, of years, but I go back with you all the way back to the beginning uh, with clarity because uh, my father-in-law pastored a church in Norfolk, Virginia for 23 years where Nathan Kolar's dad was on staff as the executive pastor for about 10 of those years. And I was a grad student in Virginia Beach, Virginia in the early 2000s when Nathan was in junior high school um, I said I knew him back when he was a punk kid. You might have things to say about that. Um, but we walked that with them through their um, family move to Pennsylvania and watched he and Josh and their sister grow up um, and then move out into their own space. Um, when he and Jess got married, we were a part of all of that. And then um, watched them come and plant a church out here while we were still suffering for Jesus in Springfield, Missouri. Um, and then we came out here four years ago and had wanted to come and visit to see people we knew. We discovered Santa Monica was a little too far away from where we were going to be um, in Orange County. But um, he called and said, uh, um, Nathan called and said, my parents are going to be here for the weekend. You guys should come up. So we came up. We were actually with you in the auditorium um, when Charles and Don were here. That's how we got on the mailing list um, and have been on the mailing list ever since. But the, but the beauty of that is, is that for somebody who is a relative stranger to you, I know your story. I know the journey that you've been on. I know the path that you've been walking, even if it's just through email updates um, and, and watching what's, what's happening. I'll tell you a little bit about myself before we um, jump in, because I think a lot of what we're going to talk about comes from kind of both the story that we have been on as well as the story that you have been on. Uh, we came to Southern California four years ago. My husband's from the East Coast. I grew up in a teeny tiny town on the Canadian border in the upper Midwest. We met in grad school, um, moved to Missouri for my husband to do seminary, thought we would go back east, and God had other plans and sent us out here um, to Orange County, the two places my husband said he would never live, Springfield, Missouri, and Southern California. Um, so now we've lived in both of those places. So we tell God things like, we will never live in Paris. Please do not ever send us to Paris. Because perhaps, maybe, just maybe, the formula will work out for us um, a third time. I teach at Biola University. I am the chair of the communication department. I'm not a theologian. I'm a communication scholar. 
um, but I study the intersections of religious rhetoric and political rhetoric. They're actually closer together than you would um, imagine. Um, the pastor as politician is a particular uh, um, interest to me. And I think we're living in a really interesting time. It's actually good work for me right now um, because of the state of play of both our politics and the state of the church as it interacts with politics. Um, and so that's the work I do during the week, um, but God has been very gracious to me and allowed me the opportunity to spend time in church communities on the weekend. So a lot of times this is exactly the way my family and I um, are spending our Sundays. My husband and kids are at our church in Orange County where he um, serves on the board and is part of our community there, and I'm all out someplace um, around, and the best Sundays are when we get to do those things together. Um, but those are becoming more and more rare uh, occurrences as God has opened these doors for us. Um, but, but we, too, have been on a journey of trust where we were asked to walk into spaces we never thought that we would walk into. We were asked to um, consider loss and wonder what that meant for our growth instead of just um, subtraction in our lives. So like I said, I've been watching um, Dwell go on the journey that you have been on over the last couple of years. Um, and as I was thinking about today, um, Josh and Kylie and I had talked and um, I had mentioned to them that our church and several of our pastor friends work out of the lectionary. And so if you're not familiar with the lectionary, um, so this is, this is a cool little book. It's called the Book of Common Prayer. Um, this is an Episcopal version. There's lots of different versions out there. Um, but this was a gift that was given to me when we moved to California by a colleague um, who wrote on the inside um, that there's a great cloud of witnesses that has gone before us, and they have been praying the prayers and reading the scriptures in the order that they are listed in this book for centuries. And if our lives are eternal, then our prayers and our readings and our gatherings together are also eternal. And so as we gather here today, we are joining hands with centuries of believers who have gathered together to do the same thing that we have done. And so I've made this book um, kind of my guide through the scripture uh, over the years. It doesn't have any mystical, magical power in and of itself. It is just a book, um, but it is a breakdown of the scripture. I use what's called the daily office for my daily scripture reading. Um, and then our church follows what is called the lectionary, which is also in here, which is a three-year pattern of scriptures that are laid out an Old Testament reading, a New Testament reading, a gospel, and usually two psalms laid out for each Sunday. Um, it makes for very interesting sermon planning because you don't necessarily know um, what's coming. It doesn't necessarily follow a theme, although I'm amazed the way the scriptures are connected. We're in the third year of the lectionary, what they call year C right now. So we're coming to the end of that three-year cycle. Um, and it's, it's really been interesting to see what God has done. And so I get to meet with pastors every week who talk about what the lectionary readings are, um, how what direction they think God is leading them. And it's always amazing to me when it connects, when there are pastors in Orange County, and there are pastors in LA, and there are pastors in Chicago, and there are pastors in Denver, and, and we're all using the same scriptures, and yet everybody is in the context in which they live, in which they exist, and the way in which God speaks to that. Um, one of the lectionary readings for today is out of Jeremiah 29. Um, it is what is called the letter to the exiles. And at first I thought, you know, that probably would appeal very much to the space that you guys inhabit. 
But I think there's a challenge in that when we think about the church in exile. And that is, I think what is happening in LA and, and the way Dwell exists in the greater Santa Monica and Los Angeles area is very different than what most of the American church thinks they're living through. Like most of the American church thinks they're in exile. You guys know what it means to be in exile. Um, most of the, the churches in our country are the majority. They're the, they're the majority population in the communities they live in. They're communities like the one that I grew up in where everybody's a Christian because they're not Buddhist. They know who Jesus is, but they wouldn't necessarily know him if he walked right in front of them. They're Christian because they're American. They're not Christian because they know Jesus. And that's very different than the context in which we exist. And so I felt a little bit of a tension about that letter to the exiles this morning that perhaps um, it, would f it, it wouldn't feel quite as authentic um, in this space right now. But I want to allude to it a little bit later. But as I began to read the other scriptures, I kept coming back to one of the Psalms for this week. Um, and I think it partners really well, because in two weeks, the verses um, in the Old Testament reading out of Joel really connect to this. We're gonna, in two weeks, we're going to jump to Joel chapter 2. And so this is sort of part one, and that will be part two. Um, because I think that, while I do believe that you have been called to be the church in a city that is not churched, that you are called to be the body of Christ in a community um, that, that not only would they not recognize him, um, they, would, they would probably reject him just based on what they see happening in the rest of the country, but that you have been on a journey to be who you have been called to be. You don't have to be the rest of the church in America. In fact, the rest of the church in America should be looking to you for how do we live in the spaces in which we live. But I also know that you have been on a journey that has felt both light and dark, has felt both full and empty. And so what is the word for dwell as you make yet another transition? What is the space? Now, I don't come here with a God told me, here's what's going to happen word. That's not how I operate. I'm a little too heady for those sorts of things. But I couldn't help but think, as I listened to Josh and Kylie on the video, as I listened to the song choices this morning, as I listened to just the way um, the conversation has already begun, that God didn't think of you as David wrote Psalm 66 and the way in which he wants to encourage you today. So I want to just start right there. I do believe this is a message for you, Dwell, and that God has big, big things for you. So if you've got your device or you have another way or the, the scriptures will be um, on the screen, I want to look at Psalm 66 verses 1 through 11. Um, I'm going to sneak into verse 12 a little bit, too, because the sentence ends there. Sometimes we don't break up the scripture real well. Um, so we'll go to the end of the sentence. But, but let's start here. This is a psalm for the director of music. Shout with joy to God all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies cringe before you. All the earth bows down to you. They sing praise to you. They sing praise to your name. 
verse 5, come and see what God has done, how awesome his works in man's behalf. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the waters on foot. Come, let us rejoice in him. He rules forever by his power. His eyes are wide. Watch the nations. Let not the rebelliousness rise up against him. Praise, O God. Praise God, O peoples. Let us sound his praise. Let it be heard. For he has preserved our lives. He has kept us from slipping. For you, O God, tested us. You refined us like silver. You brought us into prison, and you laid burdens on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and water, but you brought us to a place of abundance. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you so much for the reading of your word. I thank you so much for this psalm, Lord. While it was written to you, it is also written from you, Lord, and so we just offer our praise to you. We offer our thanksgiving for um, the season that you have brought this church through, Lord, for the ways in which you have led this community. And Lord, I just hope that this is a word of encouragement, a word that is pointed towards the future, that acknowledges um, what has been but that leaves it in the past as we um, move towards the future, Lord, and all of the ways you will bring abundance into the lives of each one of these and into Dwell Church as they are a bright and shining light in the beautiful yet dark city of Los Angeles and Santa Monica. We ask all of these things in your precious son's name. Amen. So Psalm 66 asks us to start from that place. Shout with joys of praise. Shout, but we can only shout and shout for joy when we understand the glory of God's name and how awesome his deeds are. You have been through fire, and you have been through water, but whatever the enemy intended for this community, God has demonstrated his power over and over again. I can't remember who said it. Um, I think it was when we were praying earlier, but you are still standing. And there are a lot of communities who would have been on the journey that you've been on over the last few years who would have said, we're closing up shop. We'll join with somebody else. We'll figure something else out. We'll keep plugging on individually, but, but perhaps our season is over. But that's not the message that God has for you. He wants to continue to demonstrate his power to you over and over again. So there's praise to be spoken this morning, church. There is praise to be had on our lips because you are still here. And the God of the universe is shining his face down upon you. And he is giving you new leadership. And he is giving you new life. And he is breathing new life into you. But he also says this, the writer of the Psalms, come and see what God has done. How awesome are his works on Dwell's behalf. The obstacles that stood in your way, God turned that sea into dry land, and you have walked upon it. And you walked through those waters on foot. Your feet got wet, but the land that you touched was dry. And even though... Your journey has been unknown. Your journey has not ended. Praise God for he preserved you. That must mean that there's more for you to do. 
But I want to hang out in verse 10, 11, and 12 for a little while. For you, O God, tested us. You refined us like silver. You brought us into prison. You laid burdens on our backs. You let people ride over our heads. We went through fire and water, but you brought us to a place of abundance. You, church, have been tested. God allowed you to face many seasons of testing that probably felt like you were wandering. But here's the reality. That testing was preparation. Whatever the season is to come, you have been prepared for this. If your journey had been easy, if you had only seen blessing, perhaps you would be complacent. Perhaps you would feel as if this path that you've been called to walk would be easy, and perhaps you would not have the energy with which to continue. But God brought testing into your life because testing is also a sign of maturity. You might be small, you might be young, but your faith is mature because if it wasn't, God would not have brought that testing upon you. Over and over again, when we look at the scriptures of those who were tested the most, they were the ones that God deemed the most faithful. They were the ones that God looked upon and said, they can handle this. So when testing comes into your life, either as an individual or as a community, the one thing you can rest upon is that God has deemed you worthy of that testing, that you have shown signs of spiritual maturity, that you have walked with the Lord in such a way that he has said, they can handle this. They can walk through this space. So there's resting in the testing as well, because it comes from a place of of God saying, they're ready for this. They're ready and they can handle this. Testing is a sign of maturity. But testing is also meant to reorient us and to reorient us around trust. That was also mentioned this morning. You see, your church has never been about a specific leader, a specific vision. It is not in your own efforts that you have walked through this journey. What God has repeatedly come to remind you of is that this church and his calling is not about any one of you. It's not about any one of the people who have come into your space. It's about whether or not you trust him with your city, whether or not you trust him with the work that you've been called to do, and whether or not you trust him with his church. And so while you have proven and shown yourself to be worthy of great testing, it's also a time of reorienting, that it's not about name. It's not about recognition. It's about whether or not you trust God fully and completely to walk with you through this space. You have been refined. Fire, like testing, can feel like punishment. Um, In fact, too often in our evangelical tradition, we tend to refer to fire as eternal conscious torment in hell and not um, something that brings us to a place of health. But the way fire is used in the scripture is less about punishment than it is about refinement. So when the heat is on and the pressure is building, we have a fight or flight mechanism in us as humans that said we either have something that we have to battle 
or we have something that we need to run from. And I think you are seeing this in the church in America today as the fire and the heat is turned up on us, as our privilege is being tested, as the ways in which we have joined forces with the powers of this world in order to exert our own power. God says, uh-uh-uh-uh-uh. That's not actually what my church is. You never see any place um, in the scripture where God comes to establish human power. Um, In fact, throughout scripture, when the people ask for positions of power, God says, you don't want those things. Um, When the people came to him and said, we want a king, give us a king. Everybody else has a king. We should have a king. We're your people. We should have a king too. And God says, you don't want a king. You don't want a king because you don't know what a king is going to do. And the people say, oh, no, no, no. We want a king. We want to be like everybody else. And he said, okay, fine. I love you just enough to give you what you asked for, but here's what's going to happen. The king's going to take your land. The king's going to take your sons. The king's going to take your daughter, and you're not going to be free, and you're not going to live in freedom. Oh, no, we want a king, right? So God in his mercy gives the people a king, and what happens? The king takes their land. The king takes their sons. The king takes their daughters. And all throughout Scripture... God blesses the kings who attempt to live like he asks them to live, and he brings destruction on the ones who don't. But Israel's life, the people of God, are constantly up and down because what they were looking for was human power and not the power of God in their lives. And so he brings that fire into that space in order to test, in order to to refine, because he says, listen, I never asked you to join with the powers of this world. Jesus comes along. He didn't seek to overthrow Rome. Jesus comes along. He didn't seek to establish a new Caesar. In fact, what he continues to do is to say, stop looking to those things to be the things to solve your problems. Instead, my kingdom is not of this world. It's not supposed to look this way. And so when the fire has come along and the heat is on, we want to fight. And that's the place where we find ourselves But when we live in a place where it feels like we're fighting all the time, then we want to flee and we want to escape. And perhaps you've felt that way over the last several years. Perhaps it's time to give up. Perhaps it's time to close up shop. Perhaps God's doing something else. Perhaps we missed what it was that God has for us. But what I think for what God had for you is a refiner's fire, a place of cleansing. You see, metal, when it's not refined in fire, is full of all kinds of junk because metal comes from the earth. And so it's got dirt and it's got all kinds of other minerals and it's got all kinds of things in it. But when you heat metal up, all of that other stuff falls away. And the hotter the fire, the more pure the metal, the more valuable it becomes. And so as the fire is turned up on you, it is not a punishment. It is not to correct um, perhaps even the journey that you've been on, but it is instead time for refinement, for all of that other stuff, all of that dirt and all of that soil to fall away so that you can become the most precious of all things in the kingdom of God. What that fire will reveal to you is a purity and a luster that would otherwise be hidden. But what remains is stronger than it ever would have been to. Metal that has gone through fire is not only beautiful and shiny, it is hard and it is strong and it is firm and it can withstand all of the pressure that comes from normal use. It's beautiful and it's worth much. You have been tested 
you have been refined, but you have also been burdened, and you have a burden, dwell. You have been given a calling that is hard. This place is not an easy place to live. It is expensive, it is big, it takes a lot of time to get to and from places. It is full of all kinds of people from all kinds of different places. And while that can bring amazing beauty, it can also bring a lot of frustration as, as different cultures and languages and ways of doing life all coalesce around one another. But Los Angeles, Santa Monica, Southern California is a siren for many. Many who come looking for the world's idea of abundance, fame, riches, influence, perhaps even notoriety. But it is all a mirage that often looks like destruction. You don't need me to tell you, but every time you pass a homeless encampment right next to the wealthiest homes in the richest communities, you know the tension that you live in here you know the spaces that you inhabit. This is a heavy burden because we as Christians are not immune from those temptations. We too perhaps came to Los Angeles or Southern California in search of our dream, in search of that um, place of influence that we thought God would want for us. And we've been tempted by money, by fame, by notoriety. The burden that you have as a church to reach this community for Jesus is heavy, and it can easily be consumed by those very same temptations. But Jeremiah 29, that letter to the exiles, also asks something of us. We are not just out of place in the community that we live in, but God asks us in Jeremiah 29 to become part of the place that we've been asked to live in. He tells us to build houses. He tells us to have children. He tells us to create businesses and to do work in those spaces. But why, you think, we are in exile apart from the greater community of Christ? Why would we not want to wait until we could get out of this space? And what God says to you is that you must inhabit the space that I have given to you. And so that's my challenge to you as part of this is stay, stay the course. That this new season that God is bringing you into with Josh and Kylie is not going to be easy. It is yet another place of transition. It is yet another place of unknown. It is yet another place where you might feel disorientation, where you might wonder, what is it exactly that we are up to? You're going to see people come out of your community that have been here for a long time. You're going to see new people come into your community, and it might feel very, very disorienting. But here's what God is saying to you. Build houses meaning stay put, put down roots in this place, have children, raise up another generation that is going to inhabit, dwell, or whatever iteration of this body will come in the generations to come. Do business, whatever God has called you to. If it's to be an accountant, if it's to be in the entertainment industry, if it is to be in music, if it is to be um, in one of the tall buildings downtown, whatever it is that God has called you to in this place, do those things. Because when you do them, you are every bit as much the church as you are when you gather here 
on a Sunday morning. You are to inhabit this space fully. And even when it feels stifling, like a prison that neither has reformation or escape, this is where God will bless you. Because you see, the work of the gospel is not a one-time event. And if you followed God for any amount of time, you know that to be true. You did not become a disciple of Jesus the day you walked down an aisle or you said a prayer. The day that you cried out to God and asked him to save you. That was your conversion, but that was not the lifetime of faithfulness that God has called you to. That's what the gospel is. And that's what you as a church have also been called to. Not a one-time event, not a one-time place, but a lifetime of faithfulness. You have walked through fire and water. One of God's means of grace is to ask us to remember. And God often says he remembers. Remember where you have been. Don't forget what the last few years have been like. Don't forget the early days of this church. Don't forget what it was like to meet in Nathan and Josh's apartments when they moved here and asked the question whether or not a church could be planted in this part of Los Angeles. Don't forget that. Remember that. Remember those days. Remember what he has done for you. Oftentimes, God routinely throughout scripture takes us as believers back to the journey of Exodus to remind us of our own exodus from our own slavery. Remember those days. Remember what that was like. Remember the path that you've been on over the last couple of years. And he will remind you of how you faced great seas. He will remind you, even in the midst of that, though, that he made it possible for you to walk through the water. He will place a fire right in front of you, just like he did the children of Israel, to guide you through the darkest night. And he will remind you that he is the fire. And the place where he dwells is not consumed by his fire, but that this holy ground is where he will reveal who he is to us and how we speak of him. You are right now on that holy ground. You are dwell in a place of abundance. You see, we live in a culture built on scarcity. There's never enough. Everything is a zero-sum game. But the abundance of God is not a pie, and I love pie. But the abundance of God is not a pie. There is more than enough. There is more than enough resources for this church. There is more than enough people who need to inhabit its spaces. There is more than enough resources at your disposal to build upon. There is more than enough leadership to come your way. I don't know how long Josh and Kylie are going to be here with you. I hope it's a very long time because we're super excited that they're coming back. But whatever the season is, it is not just a piece of the pie that God has either taken away or placed in for the moment. It is a piece of a place of abundance where there is more than just them. It is more than just each of you. There is so much you cannot even access all of it. You are already in a place of abundance and you're having been sustained through everything that you have walked through since your inception is evidence of this, but God wants to pour out so much more for you. 
God wants to lavish you with his favor, his blessing, but most of all, he wants to lavish you with his presence. What God has gifted you in new leadership is evidence of this abundance, and I cannot speak highly enough of Josh and Kylie and how much I believe in them and their ministry. I could brag on them for days. But I do believe what they will provide you in leadership is just the gift that you need in order to see his goodness amongst you. So two weeks from now, I will be back with you, and I want to explore this last portion just a little bit more. There's so much more that I want to say, but I'm actually holding back a little bit because I do believe the Lord has a word for you as we move forward. And what the prophet Joel is going to speak to us will form a foundation for what I believe is coming your way. So I just want to repeat this psalm again, only this time I want to repeat it as a charge to you, an invitation to what God has done for you and as a way of looking forward, a blessing over you, if you will. And so I want you to think about your own journey with this community. When did you come here? What have you seen? What have you tasted? Some of you perhaps go all the way back to the very beginning, and some of you might be here for the very first time and are wondering, what on earth is this woman talking about, right? But I want to repeat this psalm over you, both as a charge and a blessing, and I hope you can receive it as such. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies cringe before you. All the earth bows down to you, and they sing their praise to you. They sing the praises of your name. Come and see what the Lord has done, how awesome his deeds for mankind. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the waters on foot. Come, let us rejoice in him. He rules forever by his power, his eyes watching the nations. Let not the rebellious rise up against him. Praise our God, all peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. He has preserved our lives and he has kept our feet from slipping. For you, God, tested us. You refined us like silver. You brought us into prison and you laid burdens on our back. You let people ride over our heads. We walked through fire and water, but you brought us to a place of abundance.